As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Stadiums or stadia? Stamping ground or stomping ground? What constitutes a fortress? What's the most patronised stadium in football? How does a stadium become a cauldron? And whatever happened to the Qatari World Cup robot clouds? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 69 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me after a very short breakaway is Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm refreshed. Yeah, pleased to be back. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Um, all the laughs we had without you. I know, yeah. I mean, I was luckily I was on holiday so my mind was kind of elsewhere but I did have that creeping sense of FOMO as it kind of landed on the Thursday morning. Don't worry though. Because we've got some Keys and Grey content for you very, very shortly. Just for you. So, so relieved. Alongside you, he's on loan from the Football Ramble and the Independent Institution, Ian Daraja. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I think I have to say that, don't I? <laughs> Most people do. Most people yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. No, but generally, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, very excited too. Um, it, it was almost like, I think this was the first example on this podcast of essentially a, like a scouting mission. Like I, we, I, I scouted you. So oh, I like the sound of his voice. <laughs> I like the sound of his voice. Um, the cut of his jib. I don't even know what a jib is. 
I think it's a sailing term. Well, but... it's good. It's good that you. Uh, it's good that you scouted me because I was just going to get my cousin to call you up and put in a word for me. So. <laughs> yes, would would have worked the way our guest <laughs> spreadsheet works. That would have actually worked. Um, <laughs> so I can assure you. But yeah, yeah, you know how this thing works, and uh, we're going to kick off with the adjudication panel before we get stuck into our main theme of football stadiums. But this is this is this is a golden edition of the adjudication panel. Um, Charlie, as I said, this one's pretty much for you. This is Andy Gray getting up to speed with what constitutes social media. Can you clear it up for me yet? Because you know I'm not yes. with social media. So that means that from from 5pm on Friday in Qatar, Qatar yeah. can I still text my family? <laughs> yes, that's Can I watch that my family? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so, social media is this, is us, so is Twitter, on is Instagram. Instagram. So I would... Come off Instagram until yeah, Monday. Just leave that. Leave it alone. Absolutely. Take, Charlie, take a talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I had quite a few people send me this. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is amazing. I mean, there are so many things with it. I mean, there's firstly there is the there is like an endearing element that Andy Gray genuinely wonders whether he you know he might not be able to text his family because of a social media blackout. There's the I love as well that it, it, the sort of potency of this protest of the blackout when you've got people who genuinely don't know what it is that they're sort of coming off uh sort of and and the question of how powerful that protest can be but i think my favorite bit is the absolutely yeah the the reassuring tone from keys at the end yes 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 absolutely (laughs) um it's and, and and also because of Gray, because of Gray's sort of luddism, Keyes is presented as this sort of social media doyen. It's just like, yes, it's this, it's us, as if they're kind of at the vanguard. Which I mean, to be honest, most of my social media use is you know refreshing Richard Keyes' page and reading his blog. So maybe they're maybe they're right. Vish, I think the crucial ingredient to the, the brilliance of this clip is that Andy Gray has has waded into the territory that no one should ever wade into, which is making Richard Keyes sound like the the expert, the eminent <laughs> in authority on a subject. And uh, what I really, really like is when they um, they clarify that it's 5pm Qatar. Qatar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time I listen to it, and it has been a lot, so I can't say that, but I get, I get an itching feeling that maybe Andy Gray's family have told him that he can't contact them during the blackout. <laughs> <laughs> and... And he's just twigged what's going on there. He's like, well, I've been having a blackout for the last year. <laughs> close to that. Certainly since Christmas. Um, yeah, unfortunately, no, our hands are tied. You, you cannot contact us for the, for the next <laughs> yeah. few days. It's a shame, but We'd, yeah, you, you just can't. We'd love to hear from you, but, you know, someone sent some Instagram messages to Wilfred Zaha, so we just can't, you know. What, what could we say? I didn't even know he was on Instagram. Yeah, neither, nor did I, yeah. I'm with Charlie, though. I, I, I definitely found it quite endearing, and I can't mm. say that of a lot of um, Andy Gray content, I'll be honest. Charlie, of course, we know that Andy Gray is, is one of the the pillars of proper football manism. And, uh, and one of the crucial criteria of being a proper football man is you shouldn't, you should, you shouldn't advertise that you have any understanding of what social media is. Um, so he's nailed it. Uh, in, in the most friendly, non-aggressive way, he's absolutely nailed it. But a truly wonderful clip. And uh, thanks to Andy Gray. Um, next up... This is just, this was a tap in for us, quite frankly. So many people sent this to me, Fish. Um, I'm not going to give you any intro whatsoever. I'm going to let it just wash over you. Here's Dion Dublin in the latter stages of Aston Villa versus Manchester United. Play it towards Cash, but Pogba was there, leaping in. Pogba's played well today, Dion. He's done well, really well. You know, done a lot of the hard yards, and when he's got there, he's, he's, he's used the ball well. 
I mean, Chris Cavanagh now has got the the whistle hovering in and around his mouth. <laughs> I mean, I mean, your spidey senses must have been tingling at that. Absolutely incredible, and <laughs> so incredible, fish that. I started to suspect quite quickly that it was deliberate. Like, he, this was some sort of bet that John Murray had asked him to squeeze in the phrase in and around, and he got to the 92nd minute and hadn't done it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible that the, you know, the joining words that football people have, because he's clearly just losing himself at the end of the sentence there, and he thought, well, I mean, I can, I can just use in and around. <laughs> and I don't know, I'd, I'd quite, I would quite like to try to blow a whistle in and around my mouth <laughs> not quite you know not you know to my pursed lips but try and blow through you'd need to get you know you need to have a hell of a set of lungs on you to really kind of get it through well, i mean anatomically speaking charlie i mean it doesn't work does it in and around you can't have the whistle in and around your lips yeah well again it goes back to that in or around which is mm. <laughs> just maybe more appropriate the but actually as well difference. even when i was uh when I was off, I was still able to, I kind of enjoy in and around because where I was staying, it had these brochures in and around Bridport, which I really enjoyed. I, lo- <laughs> I love, I love when um, those the kind purest of purest form of in yeah, and around. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, it's a pure form, a, a geographical form, but I love when it kind of permeates into kind of all areas of life. But I think you might be on something there, Adam. I do wonder in the way that at school you might try and get your teacher to say a certain word or something. Yeah. Are, are they sometimes because that's. That does feel extreme. Maybe they just desperately want to get on this podcast. You know, it was just the way he delivered it that made me. It just seems so shoehorned in, (laughs) and such an unnatural way of saying that referee was about to blow his whistle. I just, I'm, I'm deeply suspicious, as this podcast should be, about this sort of thing. I don't, I don't, I don't want inauthentic uses of in and around on this podcast. But, but I could, had, I couldn't leave it out. I couldn't leave it out. Um, now, Vish, you mentioned. You mentioned just there that you you suspected it was just a case of him sort of tailing off towards the end of his sentence, trying to fill space, fill dead air. Which leads me on to the third item of the adjudication panel this week. Um, it's a subject we've touched on quite often on this podcast, but I want to dig into quite deeply, but briefly, which is, this is Scott Parker. He's talking before the Fulham-Burnley game on Monday night. The context was quite clear. Fulham are dead men walking and they had to win, but it was, you know, the mathematics was still very much against them. So the context was quite clear. It was all very much in vain. But it's the following clip, which I have to say I have edited together, is perhaps the most essential showcase of intense young English manager speak. We understand the situation. We know the situation we're in and what, what's needed tonight is, is a realisation of that. And a realisation of what's needed is to get the win and to get a result tonight. For me, this situation it is what it is, and in these moments, like we, like I just said, there, there's something we need to bring, and we will bring that tonight for sure. I often say you can lose football matches, and of course that can be the case tonight. You can have disappointment in a season, and that may be the case as well. But there's a way you go about it, and definitely tonight we need to bring that to this football match, and um, for sure that's what we need to do. Of course, would I want to be in this position? Of course you wouldn't. But we are and that's that's where we find ourselves um, and like I said there's one focus there's been one focus this week there's been one focus to this team and that message has, has, has been we need to win and um, that's what we endeavour to do. Vish no crime has been committed against the language of football here I'm very neutral on this I'm just fascinated by the sentence structure of young English managers what has made them feel like they need to talk like this? I had a think and I I reckon it's very similar to what 
new and young journalists go through in that mm-hmm. when they start writing about football, they feel like they need to write about it in a certain way. Yeah. Okay. And you end up doing an impression of a football writer, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And that's what Scott Parker is to me. Someone who maybe maybe tactically, certainly in his post-match press conferences, mm. is trying to do the best impression of a football manager he yeah. can he can do. I really enjoy, like obviously it's this is an audio medium, so it's hard to put across, but for anyone who's seen the video... His stage listen? This, yes, yes. Incredible. It's, yeah, talk us through it because this is a definitely this is definitely an important part of it. It's the it's just the way that he has to acknowledge that he's he's hearing the question, yes. and he, he kind of tilts his head. And I noticed yeah. that some some managers do it differently. So so Jurgen Klopp, you know, he's had some spiky post match and pre match um, mm. interactions with BT Sport, for example, and he does the head bowed listen as yeah. if like. I know what's coming here and I'm I'm getting ready for it because you're going to get some as well. Mm. Whereas Parker's a bit more, no, you know, I'm quite interested to see what you're, what you're going to come out with here. Parker's a kind of head tilter. And also, crucially, he sort of narrows his eyes. Lampard did this as well, Charlie. Yeah, the eyes narrows is I'm really, I'm really taking in this questioning because I really want to consider my answer. I, I, I'm not criticising at all. I find it fascinating that it's that it's this become this learned behaviour. I really enjoyed this clip, and I think it is. It really does touch on something. I think Vish's point is a really good one about that kind of when you're starting out, you do feel you have mm. to operate within these narrow parameters, which yeah. in a way is fine. You know, you need to know the rules before you can break them couple of things stick out for me words like endeavor mm. again that's a real like uh kind of inexperienced journalist maybe what to use try is fine like it doesn't really add a whole lot but it's kind of it has and i think it probably tim seems like it has a bit more gravitas which you know as a young manager you want to get that across there's often the kind of um asking yourself a question and then sort of <laughs> yeah. pausing and then it's like do we want to be in this position no <laughs> no we don't but yeah it is i mean it's that, yeah, it, it's kind of, I think as well, Endeavour as well, stems from that whole thing which started, I don't know, about 15 years ago of saying like football club, you know, at this football club. It's, yeah, you, you know, squeezed it's, in football match and football matches into <clears throat> the same couple of sentences, I think. Yeah, and that's huge, isn't it, amongst mm. that kind of um, breed of manager, especially English manager, you know, it's it's not yeah. something we accept at this football club. I mean, I think to me it stems, Stuart Pearce coined the word, he once said, under my management ship. And I think that, <laughs> that to, and he was a massive football club, like at this football club man. And I think mm. that kind of, he was um, kind of a forerunner for the kind of modern day, earnest, English, um, eyes narrowing proper football man which parker yeah. kind of he's he's the modern you know he's he's more progressive he's not what we think of as like your classic proper football man but i think he's the sort of modern young equivalent we picked up on a couple of the phrases that he used football match and football matches uh, he, he used an it, it is what it is which is always welcome um, but those are english staples but i also think that you know 15 20 years of top tier foreign managers has informed the way that english managers speak now he didn't use this particular phrase but we hear a lot of in a good moment which English managers now use almost unthinkingly and I do wonder because he and Parker was using sort of um, suffixes to his sentence like for sure or no he's no starting his sentences with for sure which is almost like a Dutch thing Mm. and I I genuinely believe that there is a new English emerging amongst managers speak okay on to the main theme this week and that is football stadiums so many tangents and so many avenues to go down here but we start, Vish, as we always do, with some pertinent linguistic questions. Um, now, as a as a thinking man's journalist, 
Are you a stadiums man or a stadia man? You know what? I bet I've flipped between the two. Um, my <laughs> gut says... I feel like Twitter stadiums in print stadia. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, okay. <laughs> there is an element of pretentiousness about it. I mean, Vish, I know your your stadiums in the in the streets, but stadia in the sheets. But, um, <laughs> uh, but I want. I feel like there is. We can nail this down because stadia, strictly speaking, is the plural of stadiums. Stadium, but we're not going to use it. We've, we've established that it is it's, it's unnecessary. We're okay. So I think stadia. The best context to use that in is when you're talking about like the set of venues for a tournament yes or like the mm. infrastructure of a country then you can start using stadia so it needs to become this vague overarching plural but nothing specific 100 percent, because that was the, i was gonna say that because that was the first time i ever saw the word stadia was in like a euro 96 pre-tournament guide and it was yeah. like oh wow that, i didn't know that was that was the word so yeah that's that's spot on in my book Fisher, we nailed this. Yeah, I think we have. It also just looks a bit cooler, doesn't it, Stadia? Yes, it does. I think if you're trying to sell yourself as you know a, a host nation, then Stadia has, you know, has a bit more class about it than stadiums. Yeah. Other synonyms for stadium while we're at it, Charlie. Um, I do, again, a bit of a quandary here. I'm never sure if it's stomping ground or stamping ground. Which is it? <laughs> That's another one I've always... I think stomping. But I don't actually know. That's another one I've always wondered. I is it, think it's it's, uh, it's an, e- an easy way to remember this is that it's stomping ground and it's champing at the bit, and it's okay. not stamping ground and chomping at the bit. Very important. Loads of people get it wrong. No one picks them up on it. Yeah, stomping ground makes more sense to me. Yeah. So you're champing at the bit, Vish, at your old stomping ground, and and when so should go, should um, should stomp have been stamp? You know, stomp the people who hit bins. Should they have been stamped? <laughs> People who hit bin. You, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah, one will yeah, ever yeah. go to. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. Yeah. Do they actually stamp or, or do they hit the bin lids together? They do a lot of stamping. It's all part oh, of it. Right, yeah. Um, like, yeah, I don't know why they focused on... I suppose bin smashing doesn't... You're not really going to pull in the punters, are you? But... No, definitely not. Should not. it be Phil Stomp? <laughs> <laughs> Phil Stomp. <laughs> John Champion. <laughs> we could do this all day. Yeah. That, that's Lovely a good stuff. half an hour of this episode sorted already. But anyway, back to stamping, stomping grounds. Back to stomping grounds. Um, this, this is preoccupation. I swear this is an English preoccupation or British preoccupation. But when players go back to their old stomping grounds, we're obsessed with one thing and one thing only. And what is that? The reception? Yes. Right. Yes. What kind of reception are they going to get? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Because what generally is the reception? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's nice, you know, it obviously depends how long they've spent at the club and, mm. and um, you know, certainly the, the departure plays quite a big part in it. But mm. I think a lot of the games that I've been at, when you know, we've had crowds, the name gets read out and there's cheers generally and then they touch the ball and there are, there are boos. Yeah. But only the in-game boos get referenced. No yes. one references that, that. Oh, no, this is all just part of the panto. Of- exactly, yeah. There's, there's no real hatred there, in in you know, any kind of average case, there's like Charlie. It's almost like fans feel that they need to boo. The threshold's quite low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's the threshold's got lower as well. I think that used to be reserved <laughs> for like genuine people you didn't like. Then I, what I find funny is sometimes is it will be someone will remember like didn't he like start his career at like our rival or something as well? And then they sort of feel obliged that like, oh, well, we should probably give him stick then, I guess. Like, as, if, <laughs> as if there's any genuine animosity. I've definitely been at a game where 
uh, supporters have forgot they were booing a player. <laughs> yes, because, uh, the novelty rem- wears off. Yeah, definitely I, does. Because I remember like making a note of like, oh, well, they're booing him, and then mm. not hearing <laughs> booze for a while and thinking the player had been taken off. And looking up, and he's just right in front of me. I was like, no, they've just completely forgotten he's here. But I guess as well, it varies on the player. Like, if that's a sort of low-touch striker, it's one thing. If it's like Jorginho, like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be a short boot, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's just really, short really staccato, but for the whole game? Like, no one could hate a player that much. Well, as yeah. we've discussed on this podcast many a time, booing is, is obviously an absurd thing to do, but also you know, it's quite strenuous and quite a hard thing to stay disciplined at and stick to for 90 minutes unless you really, really hate the player. And if you really, really do hate the player, you're probably going to come up with something a little bit more scything than a boo anyway. So no, no, you're completely right. The novelty of booing. What is it, like half an hour, do you think? Well, I, don't, like, I remember um, Grealish's last season in the Championship where everyone booed him. And it was <laughs> because Aston Villa played play through him all the time. It was just like a vuvuzela. Mm. <laughs> it's absurd, yeah. Moving um, naturally on from stomping grounds. Charlie to happy hunting grounds. What's what's the what's the classic combination for this? The formula that goes into your head. I think I already know the answer. So happy hunting ground. That's when a player will will score regularly at the yeah. same away game. He yeah, loves yeah. playing. Yeah, he yeah. loves playing it. I mean, I and I don't know if the stats boffins will back me up here, but in my mind, Robbie Fowler at Villa Park was very happy hunting ground. Oh, I mean, wasn't as, the one as I had you know, most of my references are from that <laughs> late nineties period. <laughs> I can't remember a single Robbie Fowler goal at Villa Park. I have he, to say he scored a hat trick there. Maybe I'm literally just thinking of one hat trick yeah. uh, towards the end of his time. At, okay. uh, out of and he always scored against Villa. Maybe I'm complaining to those two. How many players can have the same happy hunting ground? It feels like a bit like, you know, going on holiday to Marbella and be like, well, it's just full of tourists here. <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the classic one I always had in my head was Didier Drogba at the Emirates. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was the ultimate happy hunting against ground. Arsenal in general, wasn't it? He scored yeah. every time but, he played them. I mean, you could statistically back it up, Charlie. But even once you've done that, there's presumably no real explanation. The only thing I can think of when I hear about this sort of thing, I think, oh, why might this be the case? Like Drogba at the Emirates. I, th- I think back to Sunday League when I was nine and I just think, oh, were, there, were there certain teams and certain sort of um, recreational grounds? I thought, yeah, I really like playing here. I just, no, I don't think so. But they, but you did have the odd defence that you yeah. remember playing it. So I'm, they're quite slow. I'm definitely yeah, going to get I'll have them. teams, generally the really shit ones, where I'll be like, yeah, mm. I quite often score against this lot. But I will also, like, I do laugh when you think about that because all our games are played at Hackney Marsh is home or away so it makes a difference so in my head I'm like pitch five is a real happy hunting ground just love the dimensions on pitch five yeah okay Uh, the five aside whatsapp group has alerted me to the fact that I'm on pitch six at goals tonight not the standard pitch four I don't know what that's going to do I I know pitch four is called Stade de France I don't know what pitch six is called I think it might be Amsterdam Arena which yeah I don't know if that's a happy hunting ground at all hope so Hope so. Has it got a little um, roof on it? <laughs> no. Yeah, you think they should go the whole hog? Yeah. The Stadio Olimpico should have a little running track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but come on, goals. Invest. Invest in your in your um, analogies. Come on. Again, we have to talk about this. We've done stomping grounds. We've done happy hunting grounds. Uh, I'm also intrigued, Vish, by the concept of fortresses for two reasons. I mean, we. I mean, we'll run through what makes a ground a fortress. But what I don't like... Uh, maybe I'm the only person on the planet who's ever picked up on this, but I don't like fortress used as a prefix, like mm. fortress, fortress, vicarage road. Don't like it as a prefix. 
just don't like. Just, there's, there's no precedent for using it as a prefix. I'm pretty sure it's not like castle. I know. I suppose you could have castle as a prefix. Oh damn it! But then the issue now becomes that because so many grounds are you know, the naming have been given to to sponsors. Yeah. That you know a lot of them really insist that you use the sponsors, which and which means you can't do fortress. You know. It, Vitality. Yeah, well, yeah, Vitality, that's a good one. Yeah. That's what I was thinking as well. I love imagining just the least fortressy sounding place. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. Fortress Kit Kat Crescent um, doesn't exist anymore. That's more, Fortress yeah. Ripping Pan? That's quite a good yeah, that's, yeah. Fortress, by the way, is, is such a great example. I, I mean, I've said this before, but when I was that age of getting into football and so much of my vocabulary was learnt from football and that was yeah. a classic word I, I'd never heard that word before and then you suddenly you're hearing and I, and I would then use them in conversation I seem like such a strange sort of seven or eight year old <laughs> things like fortresses and this kind of thing like oh yeah we're going to fortress Anfield now. I was going to say you weren't using it in any other context of sort of social conversations like, I want to turn my home into a fortress <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I put really, up a no I, junk mail sticker on my uh, letterbox <laughs> I really want my bedroom and my kids come and kick a board around to be a fortress. It needs to be a fortress. It needs to be intimidating. Okay, okay so um, Vish, Matt Cheatham writes in and says, what percentage of home wins would make the mythical home ground constitute a fortress? 100% perhaps too high, maybe 10 points from a possible 12. Um, he says Watford got 59 points from a possible 71 at home this season. 119 drew two, lost two. Fortress vicarage after all. I don't think you can lose more than three at home. In a 38 game season, I suppose like 19 games to, um, mm. yeah, I think it's got to be three or fewer to be a fortress. But also, yeah, I feel I like we we, we only call them fortresses so that they can be breached, can't they? We're all, we're we're in control of the media side of all this language, and we we <laughs> yes. use it so that we can use it further down the line. It's an we investment decide. for us. Yeah, yeah. we decided <laughs> to use a fortress, Watford. Um, Charlie, you, 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 I guess you, we also hear fortress in the context of, of managers coming in to a new job is that we want to turn this place into a fortress <laughs> that's exactly like, it but, you know I, I, there are so many points in this podcast where i think can we just pause for a second and focus on this word and the more we say it the more ridiculous it becomes and that's it this is it fortress no that that's Silly. totally so my when i said my first memory of the fortress it's often about we've got to turn this place back into a fortress oh yeah, yeah so yeah. my <laughs> first memory of fortress is something like roy evans being like we've got to turn Anfield back into a fortress you know that's <laughs> my, me and that's me thinking of fortress like it has to it's about like we've got to get point behind your shoulder we've got to get yeah this exactly going yeah this this place uh, yeah, so it, it's as if it, you know, it once was a fortress, it's lost that status. And my yeah. job, our job, is to kind of fortify it again. Fortresses shouldn't rock, though, should they, Vish? I mean, the whole point of a fortress is that it's, it is, you know, structurally <laughs> intense. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although my um, my parents are from Sri Lanka, and um, mm. when we went to Gaul, there's a, you know, the Gaul Fort is a beautiful place down in the south of Sri Lanka. And my dad always says, I don't know why they keep calling it a fort. It's been invaded four times. <laughs> <laughs> fortress goal. Doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Statistics don't back it up. Great fortress chat. Well done, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. <laughs> Even the important questions keep coming. Charlie, when does a ground become a stadium? I mean, stadium, 
suggests something a bit more polished, doesn't it? Because, you, you know, you think of the old grounds, uh, you know, you think of Roker Park, baseball grounds, all mm. of that, whereas Stadium of Light, Pride Park, or is it now called the iPro, or was it at some point? They're yeah. more stadiums, stadia. Um, so, I, yeah, I think grounds, yeah, it does have to have a kind of, I think of a more, like, tightly, um, a more compact, maybe yeah. slightly intimidating throwback um, mm. You know, whereas the new, they're a bit more newfangled, the, the stadiums. Well, Vish, we're going to get into some hot architectural chat. But first of all, <laughs> I put it to you that, that primarily ground is just a more proper football manny word. It's just, there, I reckon there's a lot of purists out there who refuse to work, use the word stadium in any for any venue because it's like, that's, that's not what they used to be called. It's not earthy enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about that with Brentford, actually, because mm. if to get promoted into the Premier League, you need to have... A stadium, don't you? You can't have a ground. Which is why they, you know, they got rid of Griffin Park. They're like, come on, that was a ground. We can't, we can't show up there with this, can we? We've got to update it. <laughs> I remember that used to, that that kind of happens in. Uh, it probably happens in football as well, actually. But um, and certainly in, in recreational cricket, in league cricket, you can only yeah. get promoted above a certain level if you have like, the right ground facilities. And this is like, a, you know, park cricket basically. So I. The, the threshold's probably higher in cricket. Like, it, they're called grounds pretty much all the way up, right? I mean, yes, they are, yeah. yeah. I, and that's probably fair. I don't because it's maybe, it's, I don't know, the ratio between grass and seating is higher. Yeah, that, that so, is a good shout. Because I, I, I always think that, I always think Loftus Road is a ground with a hint of stadium. You've added an extra element here because Loftus Road is very, it's, it's basically plonked in the middle of, you know, a concentration of, of, residential uh, why am i talking about scott parker it's it's smack in the middle of it's in the middle of loads of houses and i feel like the more you're surrounded by residential the more of a ground you are otherwise you'll look like a big spaceship in the middle of nowhere like stadiums are in the middle of retail parks etc yeah yeah although that's a good um, distinction yeah the emirates is in residentially area yeah you can't call that a ground that's a, no. That is a stadium. Uh, so over to our listeners here to get stuck into this debate. Hugh Illingworth gets the first crack at this, Charlie. He says Bristol Rovers Memorial Ground had its name changed to Stadium about 15 years ago. This had zero justification. It's a ground in every sense. So they just changed the name. You can't do that. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Is that them sort of getting ideas above their station and thinking, yeah, you know, because I guess for us, we think we, it's got to a point where ground is something desirable. It's kind of gone full circle, hasn't it? Because probably mm. there was a time where stadiums seemed more professional, whatever. Now we think ground is something purer and, you know, especially in the age of the Super League and all of this, it's kind of the corporate sheen that we're now mm. as fans rallying against. We want our grounds back. If anything, Vish, stadium actually sounds a little bit dated as an, as an impressive word to make your surroundings feel quite futuristic i think it actually feels a bit 80s 90s do you think we should go to single stadia <laughs> no no definitely no no that no i can't advocate that um, maybe we should start using dare i say arena more or is that <laughs> 90s that's feel that's very gladiators actually isn't it? he's very gladiators mm. i was just gonna yeah. say yeah mm. yeah yeah i, I don't yeah. know i don't know what the new term is park park's nice parks parks timeless park is good park could be anything park could be literally a park or it could be, you know, a hundred thousand seater 
Spanking Stadium, I think. Park's nice. You'll hate this, but in rugby, they talk about the paddock, getting out there on the paddock. I mean, they meaning more the actual pitch than the stadium itself, but why'd in a kind keep, of... Why'd you keep doing the rugby thing? <laughs> <laughs> just, just makes sense if I'm like a massive rugby man. Yeah, well, um, it was about four weeks ago when you said, oh, yeah, yeah, when I used to play rugby at school, and it's like, what? <laughs> what? D- drop that bombshell in. Yeah, but that's more the pitch. But yeah, I guess in the, in the way you're saying of like Park of a kind of you know, be casual about it. It's just, you know, it happens to have like 80,000 people in, but... Yeah. Um, oh, is it and, and it's you, you too were, breezy for you then, is it? Maybe a little bit. Mm, fair enough. That's fair enough. Okay. Um, Vish, Matt Coleman says, if you stand at one corner flag and look at the other corner flag diagonally opposite and you see sunlight, it's a ground. If you can see seats, it's a stadium, unless it's dark. So in which case, floodlight towers equals ground, Lights on the roof equals stadium. I think we're getting somewhere now. I like that. I like mm. that. So was um, was Stoke City originally a ground and then they boarded up that one side and it became uh, Apparently yeah, a stadium? so. So the Britannia was a ground, but the Bet365 is very much mm. a stadium. So like Charlie, we're into architectural terms here. And we had a lot of people writing in saying that if you have, a, if you have open corners then you're a ground. So like the classic English, like if you were designing a stadium on a football, on a, on a video game where they put the stands on each. Yeah, that's that's a ground, isn't it? I mean, if you think, yeah, with the Emirates example, Highbury always had those, those really lots of those open spaces, which was why it was quite a small stadium. It felt like quite a bad use of space almost, mm. but um, or small ground, I should say. And then obviously the, the new stadium, the Emirates just completely closed it all up. Adam Setters says, I'd say the ground stadium difference depends on whether a centre-back can make a clearance and the ball goes over the roof. Again, uh, that's a workable <laughs> threshold. Like, it, it might sound like he's doing a throwaway one, but that could work. And if you <laughs> kick the ball over a roof, you're in a ground. Like throwing your shoe over a pub. I don't know. Yeah. Who would you have to test that? Who do you think has the biggest? Like Harry Maguire? Like which Premier League centre-backs would you... I'd say. Oh, you do a goalkeeper? Yeah. It's a yeah, different game be... now, though, isn't it? It's a different mm. game. Yeah. I mean, Edison could probably put it on an exact spot as well, not just on the roof, but like, I'm going <laughs> to put it there, above that letter. Okay, well, no, I, I quite like that one. Um, it's, it's growing in significance for me. Um, the Athletics' James Moore says, important reminder, this is him quoting himself in 2018, I should add, uh, if a cat can get onto the pitch, it's a ground, not a stadium. Vish, again, perfectly workable. Mm-hmm. Like You can test this. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, cats are quite. I'm not a big cat fan, but they are quite oh. crafty, aren't they? And so I reckon they could work their way into a. They could sneak through a big yeah. door. through the bowels of a stadium. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not necessarily, given all the COVID protocol and all the mm. you know <laughs> checkpoints you've got to get through. But when it opens up, I'd back a cat to get on. Um, you know, get get on at the Etihad. Yeah. I'd like to see you do a rapid antigen test on a cat. <laughs> Um, that'd be a tough job. Anyway, that's a tangent we're definitely not going down. Um, Mark Ridley says, coffee or tea over £2, stadium. Coffee or tea under £2, ground. Uh, I, I, I do worry if that kind of, that's a bias towards sort of lower league clubs. Like, you know, you could have a big stadium but still be selling tea for £1.50. So the two things are too separate. Don't like it, Mark Ridley. Good attempt, though. Yeah, Finally. I mean, I guess then you're in the realms of, like, Carl, if you, you know, if they're serving kind of Carling and Carlsberg or if they've moved on to craft beer or something, then it's a... Hot dogs for £8. Pounds. Exactly. Uh, neck yeah. oil. I don't think I've ever... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had, a, I had a neck oil at Spurs when I went for the first time. And by the way, when I went to Spurs New Ground for the first time, I felt, I felt compelled on a biological level to tweet how impressed I was by the stadium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so impressive. 
this has reminded me, Charlie, that there are only two ways that you can describe a brand spanking new stadium. And you can say either say very impressive, which is a little bit overwrought, or you can just say magnificent, magnificent arena. Or what about as a, another expression I first heard in football, and to be honest, I've rarely heard it anywhere else, is state of the art, which arguably is more for training grounds. Yes, um, I would agree. So, I would agree. So, you know, and they've just unveiled their state of the art training ground. Everything here is geared towards Premier League football. <laughs> <laughs> you look around the stadium, look around you, the training uh, ground, everything here is geared you, towards Premier League football. You walk football. through a massage table where one of the players has been worked on. One of those blow up tents that they play tennis in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, the final word on this, Vish, goes to Half Light Blonde. He says, A stadium is the place where Coldplay have played at least once since 2003. I think that's fair. I'd like to throw in Kasabian as well. I mean, Lady Gaga was scheduled for the Spurs, for the state of the art Spurs stadium. I don't imagine she would be doing a kind of yeah, gritty. <laughs> I like the idea that she might start a set by looking around and going, very impressive. Yeah, First time I've ever been to the stadium. It's really, you have to say it's very impressive. And very can I say as well, indeed. Ryan Mason spoke very well at his press <laughs> conference earlier. Just, the support know, act sang very well. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely stuff. All coming together. Really good. Beautiful. Really good indeed. Some stadium-specific cliches that listeners want to get off their chest. Vish, uh, Jack Pierce is very keen to bust the Selhurst myth. He says that Selhurst Park being impossible to get to, there are three train stations within 10 minutes walk with regular connections to main London terminals. What do these people want? I have to confess, I probably would have assumed that it was quite hard to get to. I think that is a typical London bias. And I say that as a Londoner because it's a ball out to get to because, you know... I, th- I think for, for London um, football writers, if it's not on the district or Victoria line, it's hard to get to. <laughs> I, think that's, I think we can all agree upon that. Um, and because you've got to take, quote-unquote, a normal train at some point <laughs> in your journey, it is it is a bit of a ball ache. But, yeah, that that's what... It feels so... It feels just because you get out of the underground, you kind of feel like you've got to bring your own copy of the Metro with you. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it, does, it does feel like you're... You know, you're just setting off out into the into elsewhere when mm. yeah, you're really not. Yeah, I like the idea, Charlie, that, that Crystal Palace fans actually get annoyed that people think their stadium is hard to get to. As I as, as if all the things to get annoyed about your your team being perceived as uh, that doesn't strike me as the most offensive. Yeah, we've had a few Palace uh, myth busting, haven't we? Because mm. with Doc Brown, he was talking about this idea that it was a hard place to go. <laughs> yeah, when actually it must be intertwined with that. It definitely yeah is. yeah it's true yeah hard place to go hard place mm. to get to park and uh, rubbish it, yeah yeah neither <laughs> is it hard place to go because a lot of opposition teams seem to win and yeah it is reasonably well connected but i do know what vish means it does it, it does feel like a bit of a a, a bit of a schlep but yeah mm. maybe that is maybe um i quite i quite like this one um this, this this always crops up in nice stadium chat but he says that people describing going to craven cottage especially non-fulham fans are a serial cliche these days park river polite locals nice old-fashioned feel uh, possibly the most patronised ground in football. It is very patronised, isn't it? I'm wondering if Fulham fans are sick of hearing how nice theirs is to lo- visit. Lo- lovely, Talking quaint little stadium. Yeah. A real uh... great day out. That another yeah. one. The great day out, as if yeah, that's it. Oh, I love Fulham away. Great day out. <laughs> <laughs> Family feel. The first game I covered at Craven Cottage, I um, yeah, I kind of took, took that long scenic walk, but it was a night game, and I ended up stepping in a huge pile of horseshit. Lovely. 
Yeah, um, from one of the police horses rather than one of the local residents, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about um, Craven Cottage, Charlie, is that people always bang on about the walk to the stadium and how nice it is. And if you're going in August, if you're going in May, that's great. And, the, and obviously there's the inherent anticipation of going to see a football game and you know you, you feel like you're walking through a, a Lowry painting, that sort of stuff. But, um, and then, but the walk back is just annoying. It's just annoying. It's just quite long. It goes on for much longer. You're packed in like sardines, sort of squeezing through certain gaps, you know, um, being sort of directed by the police through various little bits and bobs. And uh, it's, it's just as annoying Sun- as any other walk. Suddenly <laughs> doesn't seem so quaint anymore, does it, when you're freezing cold? And Though it's fine, like, Graham Cottage is one of the few grounds I've been to as a neutral on a mm. couple of occasions. So there, there must be something in there. They also, they were quite on brand, weren't they? For a while, they hosted some quite cool international friendlies. I remember oh, yeah, going, I think, yeah. to one or two of them. And that that seemed very, you know, low-key, fun, Craven Cottage. Just, just go and enjoy yourself and the experience. I, I love the idea that there's, you know, sort of, I don't know, uh, a few Nigerian fans or Mexican fans or South Korean fans out there going, yeah, lovely walk to, to, to Cottage. <laughs> if you do it once in your lifetime, you're really worth doing. When, lovely day out. Against Australia Trump. on a Tuesday yeah. night. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. On to some more miscellaneous matters. Uh, Vish, Sam, once again, giving us some very pertinent points. He says, running tracks are unacceptable in UK grounds, but a nice little addition at mid-level foreign clubs. Yeah, it, I mean, I think I may have said this on this podcast before. Why do they love athletics so much in Europe? What's the <laughs> What's the big deal? <laughs> do any of you two get that anxiety when someone scores and they run onto the running track? And because they're in studs, they're kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah, they're yeah, almost yeah. trotting. And I kind of think, yeah, you're going to hurt yourself here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, too much purchase, too much grip. I always wonder if they if they have really grasped how far they have to run to get to the fans <laughs> in those circumstances but you can't not you know the the thrill of jumping over the advertising hoarding i guess is irresistible charlie i mean like you have to do it yeah there is something very like trans world sport about that kind of <laughs> great it just feels so weirdly like pan euro having yeah. a <laughs> yeah you know like you think that one of them might be like it's a point of different differentiation why don't we like not have an athletics track yeah and and also as you say like how often is that really going to be used the local community the local community yeah, like, doing their 400 meter splits <laughs> Stop. just 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 legging it around the olympia yeah. stadion or absolute whatever. nonsense absolute nonsense my wife uh, used to play for leighton orion and mm. they played mile end arena mile end stadium oh, mile end yeah. park Myland Grand, which has a <laughs> Fortress uh, Mile End. Yeah, actually, so you play at Fortress Mile End, and they have a running track around the outside, which is always being used when they're playing. Oh wow! So you'll have people like practicing their sprints or practicing their long jump while this football match is going on, and it's um, every now and again a ball just like flies into the sandpit. Someone's jumping into it. That's happened that- to I played at the Crystal Palace Athletic Stadium, which is right. like the, mm. the biggest throwback I've ever seen. And it makes you feel like you're playing a Cup Winners' Cup game in 1983 or something. <laughs> but yeah, there's like proper athletics clubs doing sprint sprint drills around the side as you're trying to boot the ra- ball around a proper football pitch. But, but what's so weird about that? Even in like um, proper... If you think like Super Saturday, London 2012, and obviously what we're all watching is Mo Farah running round and, and mm. winning gold but simultaneously going on there are long jump and things like this it's so weird like occasionally you'll just glance you'll you see like the, in the you distance you don't get like, the idea of that off the telly at all really no dude. exactly because no. it, televisionally obviously they're just showing that but then occasionally mm. they'll zoom out or if you're there you'll be like hold on there are guys just sort of long jumping there like this is really, like, are they not distracted by like the roars of the crowd and stuff that should be a good goal celebration actually doing the long jump <laughs> oh that would be class actually yeah yeah i think about that because 
for like a long distance run, the, you know, the ones that are just housed in the in the stadium, hmm. they like often cut away and like, okay, and here's a bloke throwing a javelin. I'm like, Whoa, wait, hold on, it's running around the track now. Yes, it's just, yeah. no, no, I no, I completely disagree. You could say maybe the same for something like Formula One, but I guess that's a little bit more dramatic at times. But like a five thousand meter, ten thousand meter race, why are they televising the whole thing? Like, I, what are you going to see for the first half an hour? I don't get it. I, it's it's really weird. You'd have to be a real running purist to get anything out of the first 90% of a long distance race, surely. But it's that simmering thing. It's like, um, yeah, you know, like a test match or a five set in tennis. You know, it's that kind of like, yeah, it might take a little while, but you don't appreciate it coming to the boil without that simmer. The those business you know, end. 10K. Yeah, the business end of a They never 10K. talk about the business end of a long distance race. They should. They should. <laughs> The run-in. Literally the run-in. The run-in, yeah. Mr. Trick Athletics really have. Uh, messing with your mind even further, Oscar asks another hugely important question, Vish. He says, what qualities give a stadium cauldron status? So I thought about this, and I think it's it's the structure of the of the stadium itself. So, for example, maybe what well, the structure and also the style of play. So I think the Emirates, okay. with any other team, could be a cauldron. <laughs> okay. Uh, but but I really think it's more on the style of play than the you know you obviously want that bowl shape but you you don't necessarily want a team that's always winning I think you want a bit of mongrel in that particular yeah. stadium don't you Okay I accept I mean we're, we have to be all be on board with the shape factor you have to mm. have a cauldron shaped stadium for it to be a cauldron but can cauldrons Charlie have been built in two thousand and six I can't I can't have a oh, fifteen mean, need... year old cauldron right okay so they need to have a bit more history and and resonance yeah, to them i think so i mean there's just such a bias well isn't there it's like eastern european state for like hostility mm. and intimidation and all of this sort of thing yeah. that... it's a type of noise as well it's not even yeah. it's not even how vicious it is it's like just this wall of it's kind of visceral. constant noise yeah you just don't yeah. get at uk grounds because it's always like whimsical chanting so i don't know as well like if it's the fact that you're in somewhere different and it feels a bit and that feels like slightly more unsettling i i don't know how many cauldrons i'd really think of in this mm. country of course in cauldrons uh, we were talking about receptions earlier fish um now i'm, I'm slightly confused here like when you see uh, a player who's played for the form used to play for the club and they they would get what kind of reception they get like an icy reception you can get an icy reception hostile well, you, you can't the get, scale you can't goes get like an icy you get icy then maybe you might get a lukewarm reception, and then then the scale goes all the way up to red hot, and then white hot. So there's nothing in between. It could get a warm reception. Get... Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, you got a warm that's, reception. That's all, that's all the middle, isn't it? Okay. So <laughs> yeah, icy, exactly. lukewarm, warm, red hot, white hot. That's I feel like all the icy you can get. Isn't an icy reception though just being, I suppose, being given the cold shoulder, like ignored? Yeah, yeah. So they ignore you a bit. Yeah. Is that, is that worse if you're if you're a player who played for you know the opposition or or, or you know a rival and you're like god they don't even remember me yeah you might want a bit of record like guys yeah. i did i, I was here for a bit walking into yeah. slow motion before the game and you wave at whoever the staff member is behind the camera and they don't wave back that would be an icy icy reception when sky sports in their little montage notice that you get ignored as you come in um charlie sam says a cauldron is any stadium where a fan can hold a lit flare without looking like a bit of a div so yeah mm. pyro very much um, but again i think of that more as a continental definition. thing yeah definitely you need a few flares to make it a red hot reception alex hamonaterovish says cauldrons need seated corners 
and its seating gradient of over 45 degrees. Wow. So that, that tallies with, with my thoughts that the, the old, you know, if you looked up um, Cauldron in a football dictionary, you will have mm. a picture of the Bombonera, wouldn't you? Yeah, steep. I mean, that, is, that is Cauldron to me because it's got everything because it's got the flares, it's got steepness, um, standing, but also mm. the threat of something being thrown onto the pitch that isn't a traditional mm. coin or yeah, cut. Fans right on top of you. <laughs> yeah. Pig's yeah. head. Uh, how many tiers, Charlie, do you think we need? Minimum three. Three. Yeah. 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 So I think New Camp could be a cauldron in theory, but it could. The... Yeah, I don't think it is, but yeah, it could be. Yeah, but the little mini stadium next to it, not a cauldron, <laughs> despite being essentially the same shape. The, the burnabout or that little training ground where they played against Chelsea in the Champions League, not a cauldron behind um, closed doors. A, a club and stadium close to your heart, Charlie. Um, the Hurricanes, the animated uh, team of the 1990s, played at the Hispanola which is a huge boot-shaped stadium. Is that a cauldron? Well, that was terrifying for, for any number of reasons. Um, but yes, it probably, I mean, that could qualify as a cauldron, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the final word on this goes to Tom Victor. He says, it's only a cauldron if it comes from the Vicente Calderon region of Spain. Otherwise, it's just sparkling intimidation. Very good. Very good indeed. That That's top quality. And, and yeah, a lovely way to end that debate. But yeah, cauldrons are almost self-explanatory it's not up to us to to describe them i think you know a cauldron when you see one looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Vish, a little fetish of mine when it comes to stadiums. I've got a big thing for abandoned stadiums. Ooh. Like stadiums that, are, stadiums that are like left, but not immediately turned into a supermarket or an Ikea or flats or something. They're just left to kind, kind of rot, but in a kind of dignified way where the grass grows in places you shouldn't see it. And, but the goals are still there. Like, why didn't they take the goals down? Surely somebody <laughs> owns the goals. And stuff, stuff like that. I just I like seeing stadiums being overcome by nature, sort of like... Like Chernobyl style. I agree with you. There's like there's that tumbler of you know abandoned libraries. I think which yeah. is gorgeous. But I wonder if this is a very um, Western appreciation of football because I think quite a few of the stadia that were used in the twi- uh, 2010 World Cup in South Africa are largely derelict now and mm. like costing them a fortune to just yeah. you know just exist. But oh no, yeah, from I, an I, infrastructure I, yeah. and, and societal situation, <laughs> oh, I'm dead against it. But no, from a <laughs> pure, purely aesthetics. I think of those 2014. Brazil stadiums there was a lot of talk about it was all going to be white elephants I mean why happened to that stadium in Manaus that was mm. built in the jungle that England played yeah. against Italy and those like ridiculous there's been conditions. an athletic long read on that did you know has there I think so I think Jack Lang did one I may yeah specifically sure on what's happened to yeah that it got turned into a coach park 
Yeah, it got turned oh, into wow. a coach park. It's Quite a few of the South Africa ones have been stripped for scrap metal by people who've just kind of chanced around, gone in and just picked off what they could, yeah. Lots yeah, of cats furniture. going in and just taking what they can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cats going in just to test the theory. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. ground. <laughs> yeah, it's ground. It's a ground. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there are very few, I mean, for obvious reasons, it's, it's prime real estate. There are very few kind of abandoned stadiums who just sit there doing nothing. But um, there's this fascinating video of... Um, a kid, and I, I, I'm, I'm told by urban explorers I shouldn't use the phrase broke in because they, they were they didn't have to break anything. They got into the old Rushton and Diamond Stadium, Neen Park, and uh, the club had been dissolved for a while after this and, and nature was sort of taking its course. And, and he did like a proper GoPro tour of this empty stadium and the boardroom still had all the tables and chairs hmm. in and he was kicking a ball around in the tunnel he was looking in cupboards it was it was scary but in a really pleasant way you should look up that video because it's absolutely fascinating um but yeah just a real kind of weird little fetish of mine abandoned stadiums sorry to anyone what, who's had um, their stadium abandoned though i'm fascinated also <laughs> by ambitious slash silly stadium designs especially the ones that never really kind of saw the light of day because they're like the stadium equivalent vish of um of like picking a team for a world cup in 20 years time oh yeah there's an element of kind of um, naked ambition about it and almost the people who are doing it almost know that it's not going to come to fruition and yet there they are there have been absolutely absurd designs over the years yeah i quite like that whenever they do the I suppose the artist's impression of what it's going to look like. There's a lot mm. of focus on everything other than people watching football. Yeah, yes. It's always like, oh, they're just milling about, just having a cocktail in the corner there. It's, it's so like, weird. Okay, sure. <laughs> artist impressions of new stadiums are so bizarre. Like, um, I mean, a classic, a classic thing. You're like, Charlie. I don't know. Maybe it's because, like, to get planning permission, they're kind of trying to sell it to the local residents who may may, mm. or may not like football. But it's kind of these ghostly apparitions of just couples going about their business outside a football stadium while a match is going on. Oh, it's for everybody. I feel there's like Goodison Park have been doing this for like the last twenty years intermittently, <laughs> just an artist impression. But, but yeah, you're right. So it's a strange um, sort of facsimile of what going yeah. to a game is actually like Vish I think sometimes the artists who make these impressions have never been to a football game in their lives I mean a- another classic example is that they'll do a big aerial shot of the stadium in full in its full glory and there'll be a game going on and uh, uh, the stadium will appear to be full and yet there's loads of people still coming in like they're late like <laughs> yes yeah. what are you doing there's, nobody mills around a stadium while a, while a game's going on. You're either in or you're not. Artists <laughs> need to really get their head screwed on when it comes to designing stadiums. It's thoroughly annoying. There's some uh, there's some great pictures uh, done of the the Tunnel Club at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yes, and yes. every it, it looks um, I don't know it, it looks quite sinister because they're all kind of swilling drinks, looking at yeah. players lining up. And there's um, for this one uh, this one image I've seen, there's this woman who's you know looking through and, and I don't know trying to work out what boots Harry Winks is wearing. Yeah, and there's a bloke about you know a few feet away from her who's just checking her out. <laughs> And it look it looks like an artist recreation of that um you know that that meme that went around of the the guy screaming into that girl's ear at that Edinburgh nightclub. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. smacks a little bit of that it's a premium like, version of that. Yeah, yeah. It's like what? Well, just make it out like to play. It's just a place where singles can hang out. You know. Yeah. Where did you very, meet? Very oh, strange. we were just eyeing up Harry Winks as you walk through the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but Charlie, isn't just these kind of lifestyle situations that you know around the stadium and on the concourse and stuff like that. When the, when the artists make impressions of a new stadium with a game going on inside, 
I don't think they quite have a grasp of how games go either. Like <laughs> players are always in weird places. Like there, yeah. there's never enough players, unless unless of course there's been yeah. like a seventeen man brawl or something, and five people have been sent off. Yeah, like three just, balls on the pitch, yeah. a bit going on in this corner, a bit happening in there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just selling the experience. And then someone just waving a flag randomly in front. <laughs> yeah contextless yeah. flag waving home and away fans cheering at the same time as well, <laughs> yeah. obviously yeah and intermingled you, you yeah. think they'd have more attention to detail that's what i'm slightly confused by anyone who's listening who's ever done an artist impression of a stadium explain yourself because i'm fascinated by just the complete lack of appreciation of how football games and life happens the, well this is all more like grist to this mill of um having you know we talked about it with like films or adverts getting a kind of football consultant on who can just sort of sense check and be like is this yeah. at all plausible like is this how it might sound similar sort of thing maybe you know just have someone to be like okay and so would that does that look realistic like having you know <laughs> 14 players on the pitch or yeah. you know th- th- this this noise here yeah, they're all running in different directions it's just it's yeah absolutely bizarre here's something uh, i unearthed a, um, a few years ago when it came to kind of um, forecasting what football stadiums might be like in future there was a toy maker from Barnsley Mr Arthur Greenwood in 1962 who made a scale model of what he thought stadiums might look like in the imminent future he he, he had a budget of about two and a half million pounds he thought and he built himself a model of a 250,000 seater stadium fish and it had the following features a fiberglass sliding roof to collect rain for use in dry periods um, an electronic ray across the goal, which, when broken, would flash a light in the referee's box. So that was that was mm-hmm. prescient. Goal line technology from Arthur Greenwood. Here we go, moving on to slightly more surreal territory. A centre circle that turns to show a cricket pitch, gym and boxing ring and swimming pool. <laughs> Floodlights suspended from sliding roof are directly over the pitch. They're kind of on these little strings that go across. And then, just, just to top it off... Room for helicopter to land on the roofs. And finally, referee sits in a box suspended over the pitch. <laughs> wow, okay. I mean, is I, that, I, Maybe that's a good place for a referee to be. Good vantage point. Yeah. Great yeah, view. Is that a good view? Precursor to Stockley Park. <laughs> <laughs> so how far... I'm thinking like David Blaine, like high above. Yeah, it's exactly, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what he's envisaged. It, it's a David Blaine-sized box suspended exactly over the centre circle. And he's just sort of purveying over this match and it is actually David Blaine as a final twist David Blaine's a referee kind of name actually yeah David Blaine yeah referee David Blaine had no hesitation in pointing to the spot it does work (laughs) it does work I like the um, the flipping um, centre circle, like those old school, yeah. like, uh, you know, where you could you could get like a pool table that was also an air hockey table that was also a t- yes. table tennis table. Yeah. yeah. I don't mind that. It's good for the local community. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Sustainable. Yeah. Stadium will pay for itself in like two weeks. Again, that's like, you know, the Amsterdam Arena was the first to do that, wasn't it? They mentioned it before that if the pitch flipped over and then it could host concerts and all of that, which now is standard issue. And this mm. was, again, ahead of its time. Yeah, just, a, yeah, um, just an absolutely colossal stadium that definitely wouldn't have worked in real life. Um, Nathan Hildred. <laughs> yeah, space may be an issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Vantage points. Charlie, Nathan Hildred and Jack Jeffries um, have pointed me towards Chelsea's aborted plans to take over the Battersea Power Station. Now, I remember oh, yeah. seeing those plans at the time. Mm. This was a few years ago, and um, it was called kind of sneered at. And I, I genuinely have no idea how far down the line this got. But it was actually a fascinating-looking football stadium. It was like... It could potentially have been the first modern ground. Like, it was a ground. 
but mm. in an epic of epic proportions. That, well, that's a that's a good long read to be done, isn't it? The yeah. Chelsea and the Battersea Power Station. Fish again, um, whilst declaring instantly my lack of knowledge of town planning, architecture, <laughs> and construction. Sometimes I wonder when when the, the the time it takes between a stadium being first proposed and then the, the final brick being laid and it being allowed to open. I'm guessing is probably what ten years, roughly. In that ten years, surely the stadium just gets really outdated and, and rubbish. Like, looks it will look ten years old. So, so what are you saying that needs to be done? They need to be kind of more forward thinking and think right. Yeah, we've, yeah. You know, be okay, more ambitious. Yeah, obviously we've got the David Blaine glass box up there, but yeah, that that is. Will it be Darren Brown by the time that yeah. you know it's open? <laughs> yeah. Will he be more relevant? Who's the Who's the guy with sleepy eyes who does street magic now? Um, Dynamo, him. Yeah, yeah. He's probably, exactly. out, he's probably out even there him. As well. Yeah, I think. Yeah. You've, you've got to be really across who the kind of up and coming magicians are when you build a new stadium. That's so, the lesson here. So, David Blaine is our referee because he's got a referee's name. Darren Brown's a bit linesman y. That's your linesman. Darren Brown's Darren, definitely, yeah, Darren definitely. Brown over there on that yeah. side has got it spot on. Uh, <laughs> David Copperfield, he could be the other linesman. Is that's that's a bit too grand for a linesman, isn't it? Yeah. I can't think of any other magicians. Dynamo doesn't work for a linesman. No, it doesn't. Um... Can you name one other magician? Paul Daniels. Paul, Paul, <laughs> producer yeah. Dave stepping in with the quite obvious answer of Paul Daniels. Yeah, that could work. Maybe League Two manager. Glamorous assistant referee Debbie McGee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Does all work. Does all work. Vish, I have the following sensational series of events to tell you about um, when it comes to absurdly outlandish stadium design. Andrew Collin has pointed us towards, he says, look no further than the London Luton FC 75,000 capacity stadium that it would incorporate a Formula One track. So the idea was around the early 2000s that Luton would merge with Wimbledon and form London Luton FC. And uh, the plans were described as follows. Not content with with a merger with Wimbledon, the owners have come up with grander plans. They want to bring Formula One, NFL, NBA and Rugby Union to a new ground housing the club, built on stilts over the M1. John Gurney, public face of the consortium, has presented a report to potential investors, which includes building a 50,000-seat ground and running a racetrack through it. The start-finish line would be inside. And Gurney says one Grand Prix a year would earn the club a £200 million profit. Maybe test cricket could be squeezed in because the stadium would have a Teflon roof kept up by air pressure, like Detroit's Pontiac Dome. Where is this bloke now? Is he... <laughs> he shouldn't be allowed out in public. He's got... like lying in a room surrounded by scale models of the, the, the most absurd stadium ever conceived. I suppose um, if, if London Luton, if, if the airport's anything go by, if London Luton became a stadium, then it would definitely knock Crystal Palace of its purse as the hardest to get to, definitely. definitely. <laughs> um, uh, but boy, would I want to get there. Yeah. <laughs> for my for my big Formula One day out. I mean, you couldn't do what we were talking about before, playing a game while also having a Formula One race going on. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Dangerous. Slightly distracting. Thing is, though, um, Charlie. I mean, I mean, as much as I would have liked to see the stadium come to fruition, they would have had to knock down Old Kenilworth Road, which I think now now picture Kenilworth Road in your head. You've seen a game played there. Mm. They've got the kind of conservatory pitch wasn't that there well they got that kind of concert one stand is basically sort of all corporate boxes and it looks a little bit like uh, someone's tried to build la bombonera in luton <laughs> so i think i think they're twinned i think they're basically the same stadium but of, of slightly different proportions so that's my theory anyway kenilworth road and la bombonera luton story 
does not stop there. If you go back another decade to the 1990s, uh, during the chairmanship of one David Kohler, he proposed the Kohler Dome, which would have seen a retractable roof and a pitch placed on a hovercraft that would have moved in and out of the stadium on match days. What were they doing? What were they thinking back then? Maybe they were subscribing to my theory that they had to be more outlandish so their stadium did go out of date by the time they built it. And going well, well into the future. Mm, Hovercraft. Hundreds of years to to prove themselves against anything that might possibly happen in the the intervening few years. It's a bit like when you see a film and, you know, it's done in the 80s and their futuristic vision is like Mm. 2010. And you're like, uh, close, close, yeah. Machines haven't quite taken over. But... So this stadium is going to have a cheese room. <laughs> Blow your minds. But this really does take the biscuit. Uh, Vish, Billy Crooks reminds me of the ongoing saga. Um, before the Qatar World Cup was moved to the winter, uh, the organisers were coming up with various methods of, of keeping their stadiums cool. There were the air-conditioned stadiums using solar energy. Reasonable sounding. That sounds fine. But no, Qatar's robot clouds. Yes. First proposed yep. in 2011. These were self-propelled carbon fibre discs that would place themselves between the sun and the stadium, casting a shadow and reducing the temperature that could have, could otherwise have hit three figures Fahrenheit. I mean, it's just... Like, who was involved in, in that Tony Stark? Like, where, where are they getting <laughs> this from? It's quite Mr Burns when he blocks out, yeah. he comes out with that, yeah. that plan to block out the sun. And I, I imagine the guy, that's kind of how I envisage these sort of people are, that sort of level of megalomania. Dr Saud Ghani, head of mechanical and industrial engineering at Qatar University. And it turns out these these virtual, not virtual, these um, artificial clouds would have been the size of jumbo jets, just hovering over the stadium, keeping <laughs> everyone cool. Benevolently. Insane. <laughs> insane and that was genuinely one of their ideas to host a summer world cup in qatar um i know they've got bigger problems on their hands with this whole thing but uh i that would have been quite frankly absurd i want to finish on this final point fish have we reached peak stadium because as listener narco pande writes in he says an architect's firm made for fun a concept for the world's biggest all-seater stadium and they worked out that it caps out at two hundred thousand seats because if you add one more row the ball and players are no longer visible to the naked eye. 200,000 is our peak. We could never go higher than that. I mean, that's excessive, isn't it? I, it's mm. just, I mean, I wouldn't put it past some clubs thinking, you know, when they look at their waiting list for season tickets and go, oh, actually, this would be, <laughs> be quite neat. But, I mean, there are some grounds now where you can't see from the back. Like, you know, I, I, to be fair, but, you know, my eyesight's getting progressively worse and mm. the whole wearing masks while covering football is really affecting me because, of you know, all the steam and stuff like that. But, yeah. I mean that's that is too much. At least they found a limit. I feel like with football, we're we're always pushing on. We can always do more. We're quite gluttonous sport, aren't we? But at yeah. least someone is thinking, no, we we should probably stop at two hundred thousand. Unless yeah. you go kind of straight up and it becomes basically vertical and you're hanging <laughs> off like a like Alton Towers or something like that. I just uh, you can, the only way you can do it is to be going up, and even then you'd probably be too far away. Could um, you have like an Escher painting style stadium then? Where <laughs> yes. You kind of actually on the same level, but you know, different tiers. Yeah, definitely. What tier am I in? I just don't know, (laughs) Charlie. I I mean, and also similarly in terms of sort of stadium design, I feel like we've hit a plateau. I mean, all all this talk about outlandish stadium designs—they don't really tend to happen. I just think all new stadiums are a little bit Emiratesy. That's it. They've settled on Emirates, and everything is just basically a 
close cousin of that now. There's that identikit kind of St. Mary's model, isn't there? The Lego Stadium, yeah. Yeah, where you... But it's interesting as well, like, because I think the American art, wasn't it... I think the World Cup final in 1950 was meant Mm. to be like a 200,000 plus. Mm. And obviously it's because of health and safety or whatever, but it's one of the few areas that has actually scaled back in modern football. As Vish says, like, given how gluttonous it is, you know, it's all about just maximizing everything you can Mm. it must frustrate clubs in some ways that health and safety mean that they can't just make their stadiums ludicrously big and (laughs) bring in an absurd amount of match day revenue like i'm sure if two hundred thousand was genuinely possible more and more would be going for that hot stadium chat really enjoyed that thanks so much vish for joining us no thank you very much i've very much enjoyed it you know you i feel like you've given me opinions to have now yeah really think about any of these things and now i start to believe in them yeah Exactly. And um, yeah, it's kind of the, the most benign form of indoctrination, filling people's minds with opinions, if you can call them that, that they never knew they had. This is what this <laughs> podcast does. Uh, harmless, harmless opinions. Uh, Charlie, welcome Things back. people didn't know they cared about. Uh, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> that should have been the tagline for this podcast after all. Yeah. Charlie, lovely haircut. Nice to have you back. Thank you very much. Lovely to be back. Cheers, everyone. We'll see you next week. The Athletic. I'm Ellis James. I'm Mike Bubbins. And I'm Steph Guerrero. I would kill off with any footballer to get a Premier yeah, League team, would you? Not a problem. Ian Dowie. We've got a comedy podcast called The Socially Distant Sports Bar. It's Liverpool versus Arsenal here at Anfield. It's the big kickoff. New player, Mike Bubbins, who got off with Ian Dowie in the week. Jurgen Klopp, of course, said that he's perfectly happy to play. Bubbins in a front three alongside uh, Salah Firmino. Bubbins, 48 years of age, has never played football, but he snogged Ian Dowie for two and a half to three minutes as stipulated. According to Premier League guidelines, Dowie said he's got no idea how good Bubbins is. Word on the street is that he's not great, he's morbidly obese. It's about sport, but not really. He's not fit and he doesn't know where to stand. His first touch is woeful, and I mean woeful. But he got off with the entire last. Those are the rules, son. It's a new, new guy that I don't agree with it. Gary don't agree with it. None of the explanations. Shut up! Shut up! I'm gonna die. Download it from wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>